You are listening to the Ivy Podcast. Learn from the business titans in areas of strategy, innovation, negotiation, and all things leadership. We interview the Ivy League, Fortune 100, and top startups of the world. Now, here's your host, John Karsibayev. On this episode of the Ivy Podcast, I have a very special guest for you from the field of venture capital, Mr. Adil Nurgojan. He is the chairman of the board of directors in Cas Tech Ventures. He is also the managing director for digitalization and innovations in the Bitirect National Managing Holding and the chairman of the board of directors in the National Agency for Technological Development of Kazakhstan. Adil has over 10 years of work experience in corporate governance, technological development, investment, and financial activities. He holds master's degrees in business administration and public administration from the University of Montana. This is where we have actually met. Between 2012 and 18, he was a partner of the international venture fund I2BF Global, he was the investment director, head of the Kazakhstan office of the Russian Kazakhstan Fund for Nanotechnologies. In addition, he is the founder and investor of a number of startup companies where he is participating as an angel investor. Mr. Nurgorjan is a serial entrepreneur and investor with a deep knowledge of the Central Asian market. In a nutshell, this guy is a business celebrity in Kazakhstan. Don't believe me? Just go ahead and Google him you'll end up getting pages and pages and information on him. Adil, welcome to Ivy Podcast. It is always a pleasure talking to you. Have I missed anything in your brief summary or is there anything you would like to add? That sounds good to me. Uh, thank you for inviting. It's always fun to talk to you, my friend. <laughs> All right. It's, uh, so just real, real quick background for, for the listeners. Adil and I, we go way back. Uh, we had actually met uh, while while doing our studies in University of Montana, believe it or not, uh, all the way from Kazakhstan in the middle of nowhere in the mountains. So without further ado, I just wanted to jump straight to some of the questions that we wanted to cover in, um, in this podcast, primarily focused on venture capital, venture fund, because this is your area, this is your field, and a lot, a lot of the listeners that... Uh, subscribe to the Ivy podcast um, actually in this field. So this would be uh, very interesting. Um, real quick, you mentioned something about, you have a lot of good quotes. Um, and I guess through the communication that you always quote other famous people. And I think something that stands out to me that you pointed out was when aiming something in the sky, target the God himself by Balzac. Can you tell me a little bit more about this and why is this uh, an interesting quote to you? Um, it's a very, actually, simple stuff for me. You, uh, there's also a Kazakh proverb. If you want to fall down, fall down from, uh, from the uh, like camel. Camel is the highest animal, right? You can ride. So uh, some people ride elephants. We don't have elephants, so we ride camels. Uh, so the idea is very similar. 
you 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 target something real big and then you claim it and then you work it because it's worthwhile of your time efforts and uh, the bet that you do and it will stimulate you to move forward give you the your 100% 150% in and and then even if you get something out of it uh, not everything you get half of it it still would be a lot for everything that uh, a person can achieve in a lifetime sometimes so I like the quote, and then it gives a, uh, enough drive. It's very challenging. It's uh, demanding as well. Um, it keeps you focused and running, and uh, that's a good one, I think. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So it's basically, in a nutshell, saying that if you, if you do something, might as well do it all the way in, 110%, so that uh, if you win, you win big, or if you fail, I mean, you learn a lot from that. This is great. So this is definitely uh, an inspiring quote. Um, in terms of some of the latest trends in venture capital, um, obviously you've been in this field for quite some time now, and it's very cyclical. A lot of different trends, they come and go. Um, what's the latest trend? What, what's the hot on the market these days? Why? What's the next big thing? So if some of the listeners are asking me, you know, where do I invest? Where do I go? Um, what's what is what is Adil Nurgojan as a venture fund looking at these days? What uh, we're looking at, we are looking at. Um, well, we are be- becoming a, a a very cautious about all kinds of larger trends. We see a very high concentration of four large companies plus three in China. Uh, that essentially buy everything out. We see those niches uh, have less chance to develop and less chances to strike. But we also like the industries that are less concentrated, say biotechnology, say healthcare, healthcare applications, uh, fintech to a certain extent uh, at uh, certain niches. And we, what I like about it is that, um, that uh, you know, venture capital for the last five years have been very opportunistic, have, have been exploring many different markets and uh, all, over the, uh, all over the world, but mainly in Asia where the potential shows uh, the, the right numbers, the right digits, the, uh, the entrepreneurs are hungry. Um, and um, we like that. Too. I mean, I like Southeast Asia, I like overall Asia, and, and I feel like that you could be doing uh, many things and uh, many, uh, many innovational things that, that will solve different kind of problems that are not necessarily, uh, you know, relevant to the United States or Europe. What I see also is that the United States is no longer a center of the world. Uh, I see there are alternatives, and we shouldn't be missing on those. We should be participating, we should be active there, we should be in touch with all possible new waves. We also see that the shift of capital um, that is increasingly coming from Asia, uh, you know, gigantic numbers like $100 billion vision fund from SoftBank and the play that uh, Alibaba has and Tencent has and Didi has in in Southeast Asia. Uh, Only in five years you could see that there are four unicorns just in South Southeast Asia appeared. Like uh, you know, Uber is out of there, but then you have Grab and Gojek competing in the in the market of 650 million people. That all of those markets are growing, you know, uh, two digits, nine percent, ten percent annually, and will continue to grow because of the young population. 
And it happens that all the engineers that we have been trained in all the Western schools, uh, myself and, your, and yourself and, uh, and people like that, coming back home and working at home, we could see the, you know, the, the trends that um, they're getting better, better paid. The quality of life is a lot better. So the Chinese engineers are coming back home. It's very similar trends happening in Southeast Asia as well. Indian engineers, uh, it's a very similar story. So I believe uh, frontier markets will offer the opportunities. I believe less concentration is better. Uh, I, to a certain extent, agree that we should be looking at um, new industries that are not uh, in the ra radars of, you know, big, uh, largest internet giants in, in the United States or in China. We should be looking for more concentrated markets, like biotech, for instance. Uh, those are the trends, and we're watching them and participating in them, and, uh, you know, we'll continue doing uh, some efforts in that sense. Interesting. That's, uh, I think you, you nailed it on the spot in terms of looking at not only the trends itself, but also the markets themselves. Um, I think that's why you guys have also been successful in identifying the area. So what has, what has surprised you the most um, recently in terms of the, the emerging markets? Uh, you mentioned Southeast Asia. Anything in particular, any particular country that really stood out in one of your recent trips or startup events or anything like this? Well, I've been, I've been going back and forth in uh, all over countries in Southeast Asia, but Singapore in particular, because that spot is, uh, you know, offering the tremendous opportunities to have everything within, uh, within a two hours flight uh, and an English law and a mature financial center and happens that they have two trillion dollars in management in that particular one city. And I've been watching them how they were developing from copycats uh, in five years into a deep tech startups right now. Uh, how they went from e-commerce into fintech and serving uh, the underserved population with huge, huge consumer markets that are developing. And I've been watching them how they shifted from a small, you know, uh, seed funds and accelerate accelerators in five years into the fund of, uh, you know, 200, 400, uh, $500 million worth of under management. Uh, and it's being rapidly developing. It's so fast you just cannot, you know, cannot uh, grasp it and um, I believe there's a there's opportunity and we, we should be digging there more and participate actually um, and um, don't want to miss it out I, I'm very surprised how they learn fast in a very uh, in a very very aggressive manner I believe and I also was surprised in China for instance that uh, it's no longer copycats. It's like we have these stereotypes in our heads that, well, Chinese do copies, but guess what? Everything they have now is uh, completely new technology. Is that um, specifically address the largest, second largest market in the world, and the the way they use technology, the the business models that they use, uh, the combination of both and the people that they have allows them to offer world-class products that didn't exist before. And guess what is happening right now in China and in Southeast Asia, and it's not coming. It's not even coming from Japan. That's that's the most interesting fun part. So, um, so we got to be very, very um, 
um, you know, uh, ITBF Global is an American venture capital firm. We, we, we are a little bit biased and we're very local. Uh, we focus, we tend to focus on the American markets more because we understand them better, etc. and it offers more opportunities. But uh, what, what we've been watching for the last two years that companies are being overvalued. Um, opportunities have been scarce and the big guys are just leaving a less and less room for VC to remain a VC player, but rather we have to become now creative. Uh, as, as you probably heard just recently, like a couple days ago, Anderson Horowitz applied for um, a financial advisor license. They don't want to be a classical VC anymore because they see the opportunities that they need to become something like creative investment bankers. Uh, playing in a PE field, uh, playing in a venture capital field, at the same time offering advisory services. They, they're looking for new opportunities and new niches that uh, pure VC doesn't make any money in. So that's the trend. Uh, that's what's happening. Uh, and the leaders have to change faster. Mm -hmm. So all these things are very, very interesting, amazing how, how fast, uh, how new opportunities are developing, how new markets are coming up. Uh, you know, money doesn't smell if, if we don't go to the moon, but, you know, make your 10Xs, 20Xs in, uh, in a large copycat like DD, whatever. My stand on it is it's just fine by me. If <laughs> I made 20X in, um, in Southeast Asia, just copying the Uber, yeah, let it be. It's fine. No problem with that. Right, 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 right. That's uh, you actually touch upon on a very interesting point because um, as I'm going through through the the Harvard studies, everything is based on case method, and there's a lot of cases that um, that are being analyzed. Very similar model than what you're describing, where a company takes takes a model of something that's been successful and just basically implements it. In an emerging market, something just takes the dominant position in that area and then competes with that uh, kind of with a bigger company and with with the intent to grab the market share or get acquired and so forth. So that's uh, yep. that's definitely interesting. Um, so on that topic, as far as the investment criteria in terms of how companies are being evaluated and chosen for that particular investment. Just want to give you give the listeners a quick example. You have led the investment into Primus Power, which is also backed by some of the investors that include like Hong Kong Success Dragon, Matador Capital. The investment offices are well known Saudi family, uh, with with also portfolio of existing kind of pretty big players in the VC world. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about that particular investment, how they came about, and what, what did you learn from that? Yeah, we, well, um, we've joined the company like eight years ago, I think, I believe. Uh, the, at, at the very initial stage, Kleiner Perkins was the leading investor there at the time. And it was on the way of uh, cleantech startups, because this is a battery, right, and essentially energy storage solution. Uh, now, when you talk about hardware startups, they're always, um, you know, um, I would say it's not an easy easy game all over um, from the very, very beginning. You need actually hardcore engineers and deep, uh, deep uh, tech, actually a lot of science behind it, a lot of patent protection, uh, market protection as well, because Chinese, as I said, they're, they're good in not only copying, but actually coming, coming up with stuff. 
So the uh, the company uh, is and uh, is still offering one of the um, uh, leading uh, energy solution, uh, energy storage solution uh, in the world. Uh, although there were quite a few of those companies that invested many different cases, um, unique combination of strong, very strong team IP that comes out from Stanford and. Uh, and an opportunity that was there because markets are growing, still continue to grow, uh, and alternative energy is becoming increasingly cheap, uh, which which is still the case. It's still being pushed and still being invested heavily. Uh, as you know, like only chi China invested something like that. They just in ten years they built something like five hundred gigawatts worth of solar energy stations only. That is like. 10 times of the whole energy balance of Russia, for instance. And that's only solar. You calculate everything. And they continue building it. It's huge. Gigawatts, it's huge. It's just uh, amazingly. Um, so the, the price per panel, panel is decreasing. You need to store that energy because these uh, sources of alternative energy are usually unstable. They depend on sun. Sun, sun, you know, sun comes up during the daytime, then it's gone in the, in the, at night. There could be some clouds and shit, something. <laughs> There are many, many destructions of that energy. You need to store it, and it needs to be cheap, and it needs to be reliable, and then you need to pump it back when the peak hours hit, which is uh, in the evening or in the morning when people use the most. So all these problems need to be addressed, and then uh, the combination of a uh, very strong, as I said, IP and the team, um, especially the CEO himself, uh, Tom, I think he's, 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 the, uh, he's the most important asset. Uh, I think, but, I mean, more important than the batteries themselves and the, and the patents themselves. It's interesting. We, had the, we have like 50-something uh, portfolio companies, right, at uh, the, any given time. And then you analyze that. I, I just did my, uh, did my calculations and get, get out all the um, CEOs and founders and, you know, uh, get my mean um, for the age and for the experience and everything else in combination, I see the portrait of a, of a, of a person that is, uh, you know, over in north of 45 years old, has like 20 years experience in engineering and business development. The portrait is very, very interesting. That when we talk about startups, the stereotype is a young guy with the young ambitions, blah, 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 building it, uh, creating a huge company, etc. But guess what? Out of whatever we have, the most successful entrepreneurs are already mature people with, a, with the right network, with the right experience, and they're more resilient and they're uh, stronger and they've gone through a lot of stuff already and they don't give up that easy. And statistically, out of what we, we have, is uh, most of them are mature guys. And that's uh, a very interesting combination of the teams as well. So mm -hmm. teams, teams obviously... I don't believe in one person. I'm not. Uh, I'm, I don't buy into jo Steve Jobs without Tim Cook. Uh, I don't buy into you know into Gates without Palmer and uh, the rest of the team. So usually you look up for the teams uh, with the with the visionary in with the uh, the the genius tech guy behind him and the right corporate guys behind him. Then uh, that chemistry in between them, whether they hear each other, they they know each other, the communication in between and then the right experience um, and then the second thing is timing and the the markets that they hit as i said you hit something you you target something really huge so you gotta go really big markets like 
way above one billion uh, in in a, in a you know approachable uh, audience. Twenty billion in perspective, whatever. Then you're talking about big games uh, with the big numbers, mm, and then you target out of that. Uh, so that that's very important as well. Growing uh, trends that is something you we have to consider. And nowadays you have to consider whether or not it's uh, all of a sudden might become a target for Amazon because you don't want to you don't want to fight with Amazon. I mean, you don't have enough resources to do it. Uh, I mean, too early. When you're ready, you start biting. If you're good enough, you can sell, and it will be good ex exit opportunity. But if it comes through prematurely, they will just shift the whole industry, and the niche will be gone in one day, and that's not easy. So that needs to be taken in account as well. Right, right, right. right. Yeah, I, I, I like the point around the the human capital of of the investment part mainly because. Just as simple as when, you know, when as, as bad as it sounds, when shit hits the fan, um, as far as does the team and the leadership have that capacity to push through it and essentially succeed in the time of adversity. Because if they don't exhibit those capabilities, I think it doesn't matter what you know and doesn't matter what, you know, how smart you are, uh, things will fail. That's right. So, as we as we talked through, you know, we talked about the trends, we talked about the the markets and the areas. Um, you've covered some of the investment criteria that's important to you, and you know, the venture fund that you're leading. Um, in terms of the actual valuations of the companies, you know, there's there's a lot of different formulas, a lot of you know, mathematical, statistical, financial, you know, models that exist. All the CFOs and all of that look at that, but from your perspective, when when you evaluate a company, what aside from of course the numbers, the revenues, and things like that, what what's what's important to you? What stands out? What what is one of the immediate red flags that you look for, or anything that you know sparks your interest? You're like, okay, wow, this is definitely piques me. I'm definitely gonna move this forward. Is there anything that you know within that range? You know, we always do our uh, our technical part regardless. Uh, depending on the stage of the investments, if it's on the latest stage, we obviously do the due diligence on technical mm -hmm. issues, uh, IP protection, and all kinds of stuff that we need to take care of the faster, the, the better. But at the end of the day, um, at the end of the day, it's an opportunity, and um, as I said, uh, the the team that can pull it out, um, and it's uh, it, it's a very I would say our business is very intimate. It's about people. Um, it's all about people, actually. So, uh, so you you want to know the person, and you I mean you want you want to be able to live with that afterwards. When the um, it's almost like I'm getting married, but you have to decide very fast. Uh, <laughs> so. So it's very intimate business. I mean, it's all about relations at the end of the day. And if you can build the right uh, chemistry between the investor and the founder, um, meet each other and continue, um, you know, hearing each other, that's, I think that's the key. That's the key. Everything else is about negotiation. The, the prices you compare, there's a technical uh, ways you do it. You do your multiples. You see the rest of the markets. There are just mathematical formulas 
or whatever discounted cash flow all kinds of stuff you do that and then you you meet and then you talk and if you want to really close the deal you have to just push it and do close it fast because mm-hmm. that's what what happens if the deal is too good and if you're too late um that could be an issue afterwards got it got it got it yeah that's so all uh, these- intuition thing you know and uh, experience thing and then the deals that you've done the, the the more you do it it's like learning by experience there is no other way theory doesn't help mm-hmm. that's what it is yeah it's almost like you know it's it's not a it's not a short sprint it's a marathon if i was to put an analogy to it and you you build you build stamina you build endurance through this process, which allows you to essentially make better judgments and more calculated uh, decisions in terms of having that, trusting your intuition, like you said, and being able to rely on some of that initial gut instincts when, for example, you meet the, the, you, you meet the founder for the first time or you're having the meeting with them and you, you, you analyze the chemistry and how the communication goes. I think that goes along... Uh, goes a long way. Yeah, and then, the, the, you know, you, 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 you cannot build, in, uh, you know, the expertise in many areas. You can become eventually an expert investing into a very particular space of biotech, for instance. Uh, obviously, you stick with something that you understand and you know. And where you can get the credentials, you can do your deal easier, you can call up people and ask for opinions regarding the personalities whether or not they're jerks at the end of the day you know you never you never know and and that is also plays out of course where the vcs tend to focus on something that they understand and know best uh and they stick with the industries that they see the opportunities right 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 absolutely um so in terms of as we talk about building that stamina, that endurance, obviously, you know, there were a lot of um, not successful investments, not successful companies. What what has been some of the, is there is there a particular trend that you can pick out in terms of lessons learned or are those all standalone kind of ad hoc situations? I'd say every, every deal that you close and then hopefully exit, you learn something, but you learn more from the failures that you've done, from the restructuring that you've done, from the poor structuring of the deals that you do. And you kind of develop tools that you like the most, that you understand the most. You you kind of develop um, a taste for whether you are, you know, early kind of investor with a smaller ticket but with a lot of exposure or or you were, uh, you know, cherry picker at the late stage and you're good in, you know, uh, watching them for like two, three years before you coming in with the bigger bark. So uh, it's very individual and every partner as a personality and as an expert and as a professional develops his own, his own very unique touch. So amongst our partners, like we have, we have five of us and all five are different. Um, and uh, the way we operate is very different. Uh, which one was the most successful? Um, well, you know, those who operate in the better markets so far. Because um, um, some of the ecosystems are very young and very uh, immature. 
say this part of the world or at the time Southeast Asia. It's, I, I cannot tell it's mature yet. It's still a very young ecosystem, but um, five years ago you couldn't know what's going on and there's always a specific knowledge about country as well, the way they do business, the language thing and then uh, all kinds of cultural things that you need to understand and be part of it. Um, always unique experience. That's why I like it a lot. It's always uh, something to learn. Um, always something to learn. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm sure. And I like, I like a saying that goes that, you know, I, we, we, we don't fail, but we learn instead. So as you've been talking through, you know, the last couple of points, I think one of the things that I pick out is, is an ability to apply, you know, that failure, I guess, so to say, and make it more of a, you know, here's what I learned from that. It, it's not necessarily a failure, it's an actual experience. And I paid for that experience. And some of that experience could be very costly, some could be not so much, but at the end of the day, that contributes to positioning you towards the next successful thing. That's right. Um, you're, you're, a, you're a member of various boards. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about board memberships. Um, can you tell me just at first what, what are some of the boards that uh, you sit on? What are the boards that you represent? Uh, well, yeah, the, um, the partially there, well, you can divide it into two groups, right? The startups that uh, we're in uh, as a venture capital investor uh, from our funds where we obviously have a very, a very clear agenda of protecting our investment and growing it further and facilitating the growth of the company. At the end of the day, ensuring the right exits. That's what we do. And then uh, the other bunch of companies that I participate is I, I, I'm, I'm very active as an angel investor regionally, and I do a lot of investments locally into younger startups. Uh, it's always fun to mentor. I enjoy a lot. And uh, some of them grew into a pretty good, sizable companies like say uh, Choco Life which is a which is a e-commerce holding corporation here in Kazakhstan which is uh, now what uh, the last year they closed was a uh, hundred and fifty million dollars in revenue when I came in uh, they were five times less than so uh, it's fun to watch the growth but it's also fun to contribute and it's and it's it's a lot more fun when the the founders are very agile and they listeners and they hear what you say and they learn fast uh that is so much fun to see how the companies are growing and maturing and uh, and you could be the part of the big idea and you know contribute mm-hmm. that's what I usually do I don't sit on the board for the sake of sitting I'm I'm not a corporate guy per se I'm not into a compliance I'm not at the corporate governors and I'm more like um, a facilitator of growth and business development and opportunities and and, um, and then the facilitation of exits as well. So that's what I like the most. And then I, I tend to uh, very, be very active introducing uh, the founders, facilitating the rounds, helping out with the document structuring and all kinds of stuff like that. Uh, it takes a lot of time sometimes, but, you know, uh, and then there's a block of companies that I'm also sitting as an independent director, which is a little bit different role, where you have to be prudent. 
you have to understand, um, you know, the uh, the um, the regulations, the limitations of the companies. Uh, you have to under and you have to be for corporate governance, and you, you know, uh, make sure the companies are developing and becoming transparent, understandable for investors. In that sense, you uh, well, uh, the role is a little bit different. Where where I have to be uh, playing a role of uh, like. Um, compliance officer to a certain extent making sure they are um, they are very understandable very predictable very transparent company that investors like and uh, would like to invest further in and um, not for the opportunity per se but for the stable predictable manner of earning that doesn't allow fraud to happen and that doesn't allow conflict of interest that that you know little different story and those companies usually uh, are you know state-owned corporations like Zerdia for instance a national holding for uh, IT development and then NATD which is National Agency for Development uh, Technological Development so I help them to do that kind of work more mm -hmm. so all three roles are fun uh, but at the end of the day it's still a board and then you need to manage it you need to be a member of the committee you run it and then Tasks are very different. It's all strategic level, uh, but uh, you take a responsibility because you sign the documents and you have to make sure you're valuable. If you're not, I, I prefer to get out and, you know, just don't commit myself altogether. Right, and that makes sense. Um, so some of the questions that I, I get at times as far as the board, the boards, the board memberships, um, it's more it's more around you know younger aspiring um, not only entrepreneurs but also in the corporate sector as well where for, for example a professional he's growing through the ranks and he's trying to break through that you know that senior director VP level get into the C-suite um, obviously to get to that you also need to expand your your portfolio expand your diversity in terms of professional experience is being on those boards having some you know experience uh, participating and and you know essentially being on some of those boards so questions that, that do come up is around how do people how do they get involved how do you get yourself plugged into how do you get um, onto a particular board is there is there um, a particular advice or something that you have in mind that you could recommend? Mm, well, uh, you know, you have to become an expert in your area of interest. And then you have to, I guess, build a reputation of uh, being a, uh, a person with uh, high integrity and uh, yeah, being a you know, clean, transparent, understandable. Building a personal brand will also help. Uh, again, it, the reputation follows everything, and then if your reputation is crystal clear and you provide value, you definitely will get uh, approached with uh, with uh, some uh, offers. Uh, and then I guess experience, the more experience before that you have, um, the better. For uh, younger specialists or younger managements uh, to get, get into this, this kind of roles is easier through startups. I mean, the company size matters because um, the company is small, but you're still in the board. It's also counts as an experience because it is an experience.
experience actually. And little by little, you build a portfolio of different kind of things that you do, and then you grow the size, uh, you you get more responsibility, and then you know it kind of builds up. But the most important is integrity and reputation that you have. You have to be you have to be clean. Uh, you have to be reliable and uh, provide value. Mm-hmm. Got it. So, in in a nutshell, in terms of for someone who has never been on a board, one of the recommendations would be to get involved with something on a smaller scale, perhaps even their own startup board uh, or or fellow entrepreneur who is running a startup and getting involved with their board and getting some experience from there and then growing from there on out. And also, would you say networking would be another great way to to network with the right people in your field and try to get involved with some of the boards in in that area? A hundred percent. Networking, it's all about networking at the end of the day. I mean, people should, uh, should know you. Mm-hmm. And when they invite you, uh, it, some of them are, you know, uh, for a specific purpose. For instance, when a company prepares for an IPO, you want to change the board, but you not only change the board, you change managers as well, and you prepare a team of consultants and there's a lot of preparation work that you need to be done and you want to construct the right board that time you you go to a headcount hunter and pay money and get the right person that will provide the value but uh, it depends on the purpose right but then uh, but then most of the time it's done through uh, a personal connect and that's about networking so I 100% agree with you it is about networking but it but you know networking also needs to be uh, you shouldn't be failing people. Again, back to reputation. It needs mm-hmm. to be clean. Right. Absolutely. That what you said is right on point. Your personal brand, in terms of the, you know, that goes a long way with anything, not just boards or anything that you get involved with. Um, in terms of so, I know I personally and very closely know some of your team members. And I want to talk a little bit more about structuring the team around you, molding and essentially growing together. Um, you do have a team of, you know, it's a it's a smaller circle, but it's a team of rock stars that I like to say. And I like to implement that, you know, methodology myself in terms of, you know, the the company that I'm running or the or whatever the consulting gigs that I take on. In terms of taking someone who is less experienced, but rather willing to learn, and rather willing to to listen and be able to you know to apply that and grow together, what has been one of your philosophies, so to say, when you hire, when you build a team around you? Can you talk a little bit more about that? Um, well. Two things that, um, or three things essentially that I pay attention when, um, when kind of choosing team members, uh, is um, first thing first, it's it's the integrity of the person. Doesn't matter what happens, he needs to be, you know, he needs to be just honest, a good person all together. Um, and that 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 is very basic stuff, right? But then uh, there is another thing is that I pay attention, and uh, I want to be having a team that is complementary. So usually you're dealing with person that is kind of different from you, 
mm-hmm. uh, with a diff- different set of skills, a different character, a different approach. Uh, but that's uh, then you can construct a team of different different type of personalities that coming together on on the on the integrity, which is a set of values that you guys share, right? So first of all, is the, is the values that you 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 guys share first first thing first, and then the second thing is the skills, the characters, and the chemistry needs to be complementary. Uh, I I think it works best way that uh, when everyone is is kind of helping each other out in different areas, and then and and actually dragging each other upward, and then and developing each other that way. And then the the third one. Um, the third one uh, criteria, if you wish, uh, is that I wanna I wanna be able to rely on those people in terms of. There's a saying like you can you can you can only step uh, on something that resists you. Well, it uh, it's like physics, you know. You put more pressure, they resist. I want I want my people to resist the pressure and be able to still communicate. So uh, not to close up, not to get offended, not to uh, become touchy and feel about it, take it all personal, but, um, you know, discuss things, argue if necessary, prove, go back, dig more, come back, discuss it, insist on your point, don't give up just because uh, a leader said so or a founder said so or whatever chairman said so. Uh, But, you know, Prepare yourself, argument, and uh, still be able to communicate. Doesn't matter what I what I say. Challenge me, and if you can, uh, and if it's logical, and if it makes man- sense, of course we will agree. And that communication is very important. Uh, but the first of all, they need to be able to resist and prove themselves. Then the communication is the second thing they need to they need to be able to communicate, and that communication skill is something that. Actually, that's, I think, that might be the first thing. <laughs> uh, communication, I think that's the most important thing. Uh, able to express themselves, don't shut off. Um, even when arguing, and even when they don't agree, they still continue talking. Uh, that is so, so important. That right. is very important. Yeah, I guess you, this, these are the things that I care about and I try to not to miss those. Mm-hmm. Interesting point you make around uh, the resistance. I think you're referring to a concept essentially you don't want to be surrounded by yes men, um, someone who is not just agreeing with you with whatever you're saying, but actually someone who can prove their own point, um, even if it means disagreeing with you or disagreeing with the leader and be able to stand that ground and I think it's it's a it's a rare thing to see, but it's I think it's one of the critical you know characteristics of uh, of uh, high potential. Yeah, that's hundred percent. Great. So this um, we've covered a lot a lot of different topics, and I think it's you know very insightful some of the information, and you know I I definitely appreciate the inside um, obviously you guys deal with a lot of that secret sauce so to say I guess um, so definitely all the information that you shared is, is very much appreciated 
Um, before we close out, you know, we 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 all read, we all try to, you know, put some time aside to to read on a daily basis. What's um, what's on your what's on your desk these days in terms of a book? What are you reading now? Yeah, that's an interesting one. Uh, I usually uh, I get really bored when the um, when I read one book at at one time. I usually read three books at the time at the same time. So uh, so like one is usually um, about personal development. Now I'm I'm reading a book of uh, uh, Dispenza. It's one of the bestsellers. Uh, so they have he has a series of uh, He's a he's a practitioner. He's a, a psychiatrist, and he did a lot of science research and etc. He has like series of books on how to how to manage your mind and then emotions and essentially your body, and then develop a new yourself. How that affects you? It's like, um, but they did it on a scientific base with a lot of research, with a lot of uh, a lot of data um, on the people who got you know, got into the accidents and the very heavy situations where or some people who got cancers and then returned back with a full remission and stuff like that. And then how mind affects your body and your life and how, you know, uh, a very interesting books uh, that, that I've been uh, reading uh, from him. Uh, so that's kind of fun to read because uh, it kind of explains also anatomy of the brain, how it works. And then how the decisions are made, how habits develop, and then after habits, how you become what you are. And then the traits that, that is left afterwards, the neurons, uh, uh, how they develop into the habits, whether you're a negative person, and if you continue being one, eventually you become a person like that, and stuff like that. So very fun, fun stuff to read. Mm-hmm. And then I'm reading a book about um, the Sultan. Beybars, he's, uh, he was one of the leaders of Egypt. I mean, he's a, he's a king of Egypt at the time, a Muslim king that is, came from the slave. Uh, uh, that, well, essentially, he was one of the Kazakh tribe slaves in the um, 13th century, and he was, uh, his family was killed, and he was just sold in one of the slave markets, and then he came as a slave uh, to Egypt, and then he became a ruler of Egypt, and he stopped... Uh, a Mongol uh, invasion into Egypt, and um, and also he he won the Crusaders as well. Very interesting personality, and as a as a as a life of a very extraordinary person. I'm reading that book now. Hmm. Um, and the third book is about fintech startups. And, uh, well, it's a, uh, the Tinkoff Bank. It's a Russian uh, online bank, number one in the world, I think, and now uh, largest. Uh, bank, uh, about Tinkoff himself and how they build the bank. So I'm reading all three books now. One is about business, the other one is about brain, whatever, <laughs> and mind, psychology, and the third one is about uh, an interesting uh, personality, a leader, an autobiography, essentially. It's uh, kind of fun stuff to read. Really story. Cool. So mm-hmm. I, 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 picture, I picture all three books open at the same time on your desk and you're just going one book through the other reading all three at the same time oh uh, you know it's like uh, <laughs> it depends on the mood right I and mean, uh, if i'm sitting in my couch i like i like to read about fun stuff 
And then the, the other book is here in the office about uh, the fintech bank, mm -hmm. about the online bank. It's here. When I have a, an opportunity to, you know, take a break, I just take that book. And I'm a slow reader. Um, mm -hmm. I, I kind of like to read and some quotes, uh, you know, I, yeah, I mark them and sometimes I come back to the next page. I like some, uh, some thoughts, then I close the book and take my time to think about it and sync it, you know. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I come back again. And, well, it depends. I'm, I'm, um, there's a, a good saying um, uh, regarding the books. I don't know who, who said it, but one of the uh, Western philosophers, I think, he said, you better be reading the book uh, at the same pace as it was written. Meaning you have you have to you know kind of understand it, just not not swallow it or skim it. But if the book is good, you uh, the books books uh, you know major objective is to make you think and live it, right? Well, that's how I kind of like to read books. Got it. Yeah, that's uh, that's very interesting and. For the listeners, I will have the links and more on the actual descriptions of those books that Adil is talking about in the uh, in the episode notes, so you guys can actually um, see and get those somewhere online. So, in a nutshell, Adil, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. I know you're a really busy man. You have probably stacks and stacks of, you know, um, investment potential investments to evaluate right now even though it's what almost 7.30 p.m. in Kazakhstan right now so I really appreciate it thank you so much and best of luck to you thank you I had a lot of fun good talking to you again good to catch up bro. Yeah. thank you for listening to the Ivy Podcast be sure to subscribe to our RSS feed on ivypodcast.com and all major podcasting platforms like Spotify and iTunes.